I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And welcome to episode two, where we review episode two yeah. of Attack of the Clones. From 2002. Starring Jane Aguirre. <laughs> Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, Christopher Lee, Samuel L. Jackson, Tim Morrison, and Ian McDermott. Written by George Lucas and Jonathan Hales, and directed by George Lucas. Ten years after the events of The Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan is tasked with protecting Padme Amidala, once a queen, now a senator at Naboo of Naboo who's become a target for assassination. With him is the grown-up Anakin Skywalker, his Padawan. After another attack on Padme, Obi-Wan takes off on a galaxy-wide investigation to uncover the plot, an investigation that leads to the discovery of a clone army and eventually the villainous Count Dooku. Meanwhile, Anakin is assigned to protect Padme and, despite it being forbidden for a Jedi, well, arguably forbidden, Mm -hmm. uh, he falls in love with her. Eventually, Obi and Anakin's paths meet again as the Jedi Order harnesses the clones to fight the droid army of the Separatists, and Obi-Wan and Anakin confront Count Dooku. That's a pretty once-over-lightly sort of... Uh, yeah. I think I might have missed a couple of details. <laughs> so back in 2002, I saw Attack of the Clones just after I'd made it back to New Zealand from overseas travel. I'd been overseas for a couple of years, and I'd missed the first weeks of its run because I was travelling, and I went to see it with a friend who had already seen it, and he wanted to see it again. And I remember getting to the much maligned droid factory sequence, and it was the first time I was ever bored in a Star Wars film in my life. And I walked out and felt virtually nothing. And I remember being grateful that Jar Jar had essentially been removed or rosed, or, you know, Rose has got Jar Jar, whatever you want to call it. But other than that, I thought they just basically made a misstep with the romance, which we'll get into. Um, But I remember coming out of that and just first time just kind of going. First time that a Star Wars film wasn't special to me. Right. And that was a really vivid feeling. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually, I, I said this earlier, but I remember thinking, oh, well, they've, um, they've improved things. This is better. <laughs> and I think it's because uh, it starts strong. You know, yep. um, I love the opening shot of that ship sort of tilting and bending as it comes into land. There's an explosion. Mm. Um, and then it finishes with a massive battle scene, which I was all about, I guess. Mm. Um, but this is a strange film because... It's. I was pretty excited to rewatch it this time because it's a film that's flopped around in my estimation quite a bit. Um, when I first saw it, like I said, I thought it was a step up. But in my first rewatch, I found almost every scene kind of a crushing disappointment. Mm-hmm. Every scene I got to was like, oh my goodness. And the last time I watched it, I found myself enjoying it more than I expected for reasons we'll explore soon. So now, how would I feel about this film that is generally g- regarded as the worst Star Wars film? I think that's pretty much seems to be a universal... Uh, that it's, it's considered the worst film in the franchise. Not by me. <laughs> no, not, not by you. Oh, we'll get to that, I guess. I remember someone on Twitter pointing out that, on paper at least, Attack of the Clones is a great Star Wars film. <laughs> You've got a mystery, some intrigue, a love story, a war story. You have Obi-Wan as a detective on a trail that leads him to a freaking to freaking Boba Fett. There's a Ray Harryhausen-style monster mashup in an arena, an epic land battle with armies of clones and hordes of Jedi. Hordes of Jedi! <laughs> Christopher Lee is an evil Sith Lord who fights Anakin and Obi, and Yoda turns up and breaks out his lightsaber. I mean, that is a rich stew of ingredients, eh, to be sure. 
And the last time I watched it, I went in with that mindset and probably enjoyed it more because of that. But the other thing that helps a more recent viewing of these films, and maybe this one in particular, is meme culture. Mm-hmm. Perhaps more than perhaps more than the other trilogies, the prequels have proved rich pickings for memeage. Mm. Every hello there or look of visible confusion from Obi-Wan, Anakin riffing on his feelings for sand, all these moments turned into fun for nerds like us. Let's face it, it's kind of made it easier to enjoy these films on kind of an in-jokey level at least. So there's a lot that should be enjoyable here. But as this viewing reminded me, it's not always the ingredients, but how the meal is executed that makes all the difference. Mm. Look, pace-wise, Attack of the Clones kicks off at a hiss and a roar. Mm. Explosions, assassination attempts with worms, <laughs> chasing bounty hunters. Can, can we just stop with that? That's an assassination attempt in which a bounty hunter hires another bounty hunter to use a robot to get some worms <laughs> to kill someone. <laughs> I mean, that is... Who's getting a cut here, I eh? know, that's just like, talk about diluting it's your... so convoluted. Yeah. Outsourcing your hit doesn't make you like a particularly cool bounty hunter either, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Falling through space traffic, Jedi mind tricking death stick sellers. It all plays out like a caffeine-fueled noir thriller. And I confess, it's my favorite part of Attack of the Clones. Uh, along with the Jango Fett fight, actually, I, I, I really like this meeting of a Mandalorian versus a Jedi. It's a cool idea with a striking setting. And quick shout out to a great friend of the show and a great friend of ours, Kyle Hopkins, who actually worked on this very scene when it was filmed in Australia. Yeah, that's amazing. That's pretty cool. So uh, just three years before he was watching it with me, <laughs> the, the Phantom Menace, and then he was working on it. Um, however, the mechanics of that sequence are uh, a little bit poorly thought out. Um, while Camino is a unique location, it's nothing but plot convenience to have the cloners just hand over a secret army. Uh, having Boba Fett's dad be the patient zero for the clones is the most egregious example of what I call wreck contemptuous. Um, because it bleeds into the Holy Grail, Empire Strikes Back with Timur Morrison's voice becoming Bobars, which I don't like. And, Problematic. Yeah, and it's also the need for the, everything in the original trilogy to be connected to the prequel trilogy. I mean, that happens from the from the get-go in Phantom mm. Menace, but this is one that bothers me. I also just want to touch on something else, which is as a character, Padme has a similar trajectory to her daughter in the original trilogy, which is a slow sidelining of importance. <laughs> from central to the plot, making vital decisions that impact on her planet's immediate fate to pregnant and professing love for her boyfriend by the end of it. Queen Amidala is a strong, capable character who benefits from not having any romantic entanglements. Uh, And then Attack of the Clones is the start of this kind of descent into obsolescence. Yeah, it's it's not problematic for me in this film because you know it's going to be a love story on on the one Mm. hand and she's capable and involved almost to the end. Mm. It's certainly a problem once we get to our next entry. Uh, Look, the dialogue in this film gets a lot of abuse. And man, it's all warranted. A friend of the show, Polo Crump, messaged me as he watched this film recently. We've been going through a little bit of a group rewatch, pointing out that when Anakin first shows up, he is both super angry, petulant, and unreasonably insubordinate to Obi-Wan. It's ridiculous. eh? He's like like the the worst trainee on, on his first day on the job. But as Polo phrased it, Memorably, he gets his horn on over Padme immediately. Um, He's a wild man. I know we haven't got there yet, but I love that his relation with Padme is kind of a secret from everyone, despite the fact that they're young, beautiful people who've been in each other's company forever by the end of this film. And Anakin has spent the entire time acting like a dog in heat. And yet Obi-Wan at least seems to see nothing. (laughs) I mean, people are so blind, eh? That's right. Anakin should be trying to play that cool. Uh, that's it's particular for nothing else other than Obi Wan. 
Yeah. You, I would have thought that that just as not even as a character internal logic, but just for for the film, it would have helped if he was trying to play it cooler rather than going, "You're so beautiful." You know, <laughs> just like whoa. But yeah, and then he's like, fighting with Opie in front of everyone. You see everyone's yeah. giving each other nervous, sort of awkward looks. Like, yeah. oh, this is embarrassing. Although I do like that line and then Obi-Wan's look at him. Mm. And I like the, I like Ewan McGregor, how he looks up like, what the hell? Like, yeah, the yeah, look yeah. in his eyes is fantastic. Uh. And I do like that because it does go into what we were talking before about the about the kind of defiance and the, and the lack of respect from Anakin, really. Yeah. Ultimately, he does lack respect. I think, I think the problem is he, there's so much going on in the scene. Like, yeah. there's there's this horrendous, obvious flirting yeah. with um, Padme combined with his lack of respect for Obi. It's just, it's yeah. a lot. It, it, I'll go into my biggest problem, basically, with the entire prequels. Mm-hmm. And I think it's crystallized in Attack of the Clones. And my biggest problem, and, and you've mentioned it, and one I wish I could change about the prequels, is the character of Anakin. And look, Ewan McGregor morphing into Alec Guinness isn't all smooth sailing either, but there's a consistency to the character's actions, speech patterns. And I think it's curious that more care wasn't taken with the consistency of performance for Anakin into Darth Vader. How does Hayden Christensen not bow at the altar of James Earl Jones' defining role? I've always said, we've talked about it ad nauseum, that I could never reconcile the guy who force chokes Admiral Motti with nonchalance and said, says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. As this guy with like creepy stalker eyes who says, I hate sand. And uh, it's just like, you can't convince me that they're the same person, even with 20 years of growing up between them. Yep. I just don't believe it. Anakin should be like Han Solo with Jedi powers. That's what he should be. He should be a scoundrel with a good heart who's slowly turned, a magnetic, brash guy who's like irresistible to a queen. Mm. Like, she knows she shouldn't be getting involved with that. He's mm. trying to do it on the sly. He should be. You can still have him, like, in that scene you're talking about, he should still be, like, defiant to Obi-Wan because he's trying to show off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he should be like, nah, it's cool. I got it. Don't worry. I'll hook you up. Yeah. Like, you know, he should be a lot smoother and trying to mack on her. Yeah. Rather than being this kind of, um, you know, creepy stalker, incel kid, whatever he's supposed to be. That's what he Before should... Before Intel Kids were... Uh, I, think, <laughs> I mean, I think... We, I mean, for me, at least, I'm going to get onto this more when I talk yeah. about the dialogue. Yeah. But it's... And I think it's... It's it's problematic how they write for this guy. Yeah. Essentially. That's right. <laughs> yeah. At least all sorts of problems. Um, yeah. It, and I'll get into it later, I think, particularly when we get into Sith, where he has yeah. his turn. But uh, it's confusing to me a lot of the time what motivates him and what's going on in his yeah. head, ultimately. That's right. You know, yeah. What his drivers are, I guess. Mm. One of my other problems with this film is it's it's, it's pretty long and it feels mm. long in stretches. Yeah. And the CGI has there's been a real between Phantom Menace and this film, it felt like the CGI usage ramped up enormously. Mm. Uh, and this film really feels like the beginning of that horrible trend which follows on to, into Sith of characters standing around talking or walking and talking in the blandest of CGI environments. Mm. You know, like they're not even interesting CGI environments. Yeah. They're just hallways and you know um elegant rooms that that feel fake and false mm. and it's just blandness i mean mm. there's got to be a better way to do exposition of course we know there is better ways to do exposition because other films in this franchise have <laughs> uh but this one is the beginning of just um just really slogging through detail mm. slogging out information 
look, I, let's get it out of the way right away, shall we? Mm. Corniness of dialogue. Yep. And if I didn't give this one a five, what Star Wars film could I give a five to? Yeah. You know what? I mean, yeah. what would I be doing? And really, it's mostly wrapped up in any scene with Padme and Anakin. I'm haunted by the dialogue George Lucas should never have given us. Uh, the infamous sand line. Almost any line in which they talk plainly about their feelings. The shame of it is the lines in which their feelings are the subtext actually work okay. Uh, I like when Anakin tells Padme how Jedi, Jedi value compassion, which he calls unconditional love, how it is encouraged and therefore love is encouraged because it's Anakin trying to spin the rules to suit his desires, mm. which is great. I mean, that's good stuff. Uh, it's understandable and it's revealing about Anakin and the way he works, the way he's trying to game the system, if you mm. like, you know, and work against the Jedi but in a way that rationalises it to himself. Yeah. So that's the kind of dialogue I'd, I, I wish was more, yeah. used more often in this film. Uh, and I don't mind when she teases him about his ideas on politics either because it allows them to have a playful moment in which she's teasing him and he's mm. you know, reacting a little bit hurt maybe. Yeah. Um, and for us to see, however briefly, that Anakin has simplistic, brutal views on how politics works and how power should be exercised. You know, Vader talks about ruling the galaxy and the power of the dark side all the time. And it's slightly odd that Anakin should so really be interested in that. I mean, it's almost, it's the thing that Vader's so focused on, but Anakin himself is so really seen to talk about. So I like the fact that it's teased here, and I wish it kind of was more often. And and alas, there's way too much of Annie talking about how he hopes that this kiss will not become a scar and, you know, painful Mm. stuff like that. Um, and some of the stuff between Annie and Obi is pretty bad as well. Uh, it's all jokey male bravado like Obi-Wan's. I hate it when he does that uh, as Anakin free falls through the skyline of Coruscant. Mm. And on the nose lines like uh, Obi saying, why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Yeah. Which, you know, I could have done without that one, eh? <laughs> yeah, oh, um, yeah, cheesiness dialogue. No shock, five out of five metachlorines for cheesiest dialogue. It has to be. Look, I just want to give it a, a, a sample of what Hayden Christensen has to, de- to deliver. Now, bear in mind, there's no subtext, no misdirection, no shades to play with here like, like other actors like McDermott get to use, right? He's just got to flat out say this. Yeah. From the moment I met you all those years ago, not a day has gone by when I haven't thought of you. And now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. The thought of not being with you, I can't breathe. I'm haunted by the kiss that should never have given should never have given me my heart is beating hoping that kiss will be- will not become a scar you are in my very soul tormenting me what can i do i will do anything you ask like this is a millstone around the actor's necks like mm. what are they supposed to do with that mm. it's frankly crippling to christensen mm. and portman suffers under its waterlogged weight as well but to basically give this to this new guy in the mm. in the you know watching these back to back actually made me go the problem's not and i've Again, another probably being a Phantom Menace apologist, Jake Lloyd doesn't bother me because he's not delivering this kind of dialogue. He's going, yippee, he's going, oh, spinning, you know, it's Mm. it's meaningless Mm. kind of stuff. This is the beating heart, supposed to be the beating heart of this entire trilogy, and that's what they're given. Yeah. And that's the problem. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that's five out of five. uh, Definitely, (laughs) Midichlorians, there's nothing else to say. Uh, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, this film, if you're not going to give five to any film yeah you know it has to be this film yeah so what that kind of leads into i guess um most notorious scenes maybe yeah go ahead look I, i've decided to be generous to this it probably should be a five but i'm giving it four out of five metachlorines for most notorious scenes all the things i've said you know what what i think anakin and padme should be 
Instead, the second act of the Attack of the Clones turns both Anakin and Padme into simps, with nothing to do but sit around. And if only they had something to do, like make them fall in love in the middle of action the way that Han and Leia did in Empire, not sitting around in greenfields talking pretty much garbage. You know what I mean? Uh, Kenobi's mission even rests in this awkward stasis, almost literally, as he's floating there in that kind of, you know, he's, he's held by Dooku, uh, waiting for their love story to run its course and kind of catch up to him. Mm. Uh, so it actually impacts on the rest of the storyline. And um, another notorious scene is, on reflection, the droid factory scene is actually my least favorite scene in all of the prequels. That's including the love scenes, which is quite amazing to me. For all the reasons everyone states, it's arbitrary in nature. C-3PO loses his head and becomes a battle droid. It has R2-D2 flying. They fly now. Um, those awkward shots of Natalie Portman go on forever where she's trying to get out of like a giant wooden salad bowl like she's in The Borrowers. <laughs> you know, it looks like she's shrunk like Ant-Man or something inside. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, oh, how can I get out of here? Uh. Um, and then ends with Padme and Anakin professing love to each other and just like the worst... I mean, again, you know, everything I've been complaining about Christensen have to deliver is just thrown to Portman now at the end of the second act. Mm. So I, that droid factory scene, watching it this time around, was like, oh, I, I detest your existence for a multitude of levels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, hey, <laughs> unbelievably we're on the same page here. I feel this one wins the trilogy here, so I have to give it four midichlorians. Mm -hmm. I was tempted by the dark side to go to five, but I need to leave something for Revenge of the Sith. But the thing with clones, the thing that makes me rate it so high in this category is that almost every scene is something that knocks it down a notch and makes it the horrible thing we remember. Or just weird enough to become memeable. You like Obi-Wan Kamino? Tell me the first things that come to mind aren't I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Uh, young Boba Fett saying, Dad, torn ways here. Or just the subtitled look of visible confusion from Ewan McGregor that I've seen on so many GIFs. <laughs> This whole film is just a mean machine. Uh, what about Coruscant? Can you go past Dexter and his ridiculous diner or the appearance of Elan Sleesbagano trying to sell death sticks before deciding to rethink his life? I love that's his name. Yeah. Uh, I quite like the arena battle on Geonosis, but Lucas can't resist lobbing a gag dropping C-3PO in there to ruin it all. And then there's a droid factory battle, which might have been tolerable if it weren't for droids. <laughs> in this case, mostly R2-D2 discovering you can fly and a strangely really rubbery-looking C-3PO, taking over the bad joke heavy lifting from Jar Jar, I think, in this film. Uh, but really, no moment is more notorious than any moment that's a courtship scene. Uh, the discussion on sand and its texture relative to Natalie Portman's skin is the winner, but it's all pretty notorious, eh? Yeah. The other thing is, is why is she dressing that way, like, like in these, like, sleek gowns, and then just got, like, candlelit dinners, and, like, really quiet, like, oh, we'll just turn all the lights down, and I'll sit on the couch in front of a roaring fire, and we'll just have a really nice platonic relationship. Yeah, it's insane. Like you were sending some mixed messages. Uh, yeah. Dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Not how she dresses, but no, I, I no, I'm, I'm with you. It's, a, it's ludicrous that yeah. like she's no, we can't do this, and then she's wearing that that le kind of leathery black number, yeah. and the candles are burning, and, and they're like on the sheepskin cart rug, basically yeah. in front of a fire. It's like a Mills and Boone's romance scene between two people who are not supposed to be in love. Yeah, that's right. Uh, come on. Yeah. Uh, th there are little. Um there are little moments of kind of hope in there. Again, goes towards that thing of if Anakin had been a bit more like of a Han Solo, if he'd been a bit more, you know, just kind of 
he should be a monk like Obi Wan, but he's too much of a player. You know what I mean? He's he's too too in touch with his. He's too, he's 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 just too much. You know. Piping testosterone to be. I love the fact that he's the only guy who gets to wear like this cool black get up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He gets the cool Jedi robes. Yeah, that's right. That no one else gets to wear. Yeah. And and I just think that um that would have been that would have been cool if they'd done that. And they have hints of that, like him using the force to like float around food mm. and stuff like that, showing off. Like mm. that's the stuff. Yeah, make him brash, make him irresponsible, make him uh, you know, a nineteen or twenty year old kid or whatever he's supposed to be. Like, mm. Do that. Mm. But don't make him like stalkery and lovesick and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, it doesn't work. And um, yeah, it also bothers me that they're using knives and forks to eating pears. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, I don't think I've thought of that. Yeah. Maybe that should fit in our design category. I'm yeah, not maybe, sure. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a nice segue into the design category then. And I'm going to give two and a half midichlorians to design. Things start promisingly with with another great Naboo ship, the Silver Naboo Diplomatic Barge. Mm-hmm. Twisting through space as it comes into land on Coruscant, its engines like a World War II bomber all throaty and low and burbly. But unfortunately, Coruscant itself is actually a bit of a bust for me. It's fine when you take a wide view, uh, through, though it's a bit fifth elementy as well, which makes it feel a little less unique and original. But up close is where the problems begin. For a start, the bar Obi and Anakin enters, they hunt Padme's would-be assassin, is the worst. It has TV screens playing sports events. Now, putting aside that they should probably be holograms, not TVs, one of the sports is American football played by robots. Not a sport resembling American football, but clearly actual American football. That is one of my major gripes when I see something from our world so clearly lifted into a Star Wars setting. It was a big beef for me with the Canto Bite sequence in The Last Jedi, and it's certainly no better here. It takes me out of the scene completely. On a similar note, we have Dex's diner, a 50s-inspired American graffiti diner, complete with Jetson-style waitress robot. I should hate this scene as well, and I kind of do, but I also love how delighted Obi-Wan is to see Dex, you know? <laughs> yeah. He has never looked happier. So as much as I want to rail against this, it's just such fun to see that old Jedi so pleased and I do like imagining the hijinks him and the sloppy forearm chef used to get up to in the past (laughs) you know if we're going to see another Star Wars film that's what it should be just Dex and young Obi the adventures of Dex and young Obi just on the outer rim there up to no good yeah totally Um, I don't know maybe they both maybe maybe Obi actually worked at the diner from one stage like to put himself through Jedi school do you reckon Dexter caught up with him post um, post Sith Post Sith, yeah, oh, like on Tatooine, yeah, on Tatooine. Like, oh man, I hope he's in the series when they do the Obi series. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Just like a, imagine if like Dex is living with him on Tatooine, yeah, and like it's an odd couple thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and that's the whole. That's ac- it's actually an odd couple comedy series. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, and even Obi flies off. Dex is still on Tatooine. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, um, <laughs> <laughs> he just got like a diner and anchor head somewhere to sell right. power converters. Uh, d- d- Disney contact us. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty forgiving of Camino as well, mostly because a shot of it all rain slick with a flying fish monster skimming over the surface. Looks like it should be painted on the side of a panel van I wish I owned. <laughs> and the battle in space with Obi Wan fleeing from Jango Fett has those delayed blast sound effects of the seismic charges, which are just catnip to my ears. Mm. I love that scene for those sounds alone. I'm definitely giving a midichlorian to the three monsters in the arena fight. I like that they all have different personalities personalities, and could have been created stop-motion styles by Ray, Ray Harryhausen, which was clearly the influence of them. But I'm kind of torn on the big final battle scene because I'm not sure I love the clones themselves. 
their landing ships are kind of iconic now. But it annoys me that there's no single clone warrior in any of these films that's a flesh and blood person in a suit of armour. You know, every one of them was created as a CG character, and it's kind of a waste to me. Um, and Revenge of the Sith as well. And it's really obvious, too, that it's just a, a, a CGI layer, and I, I just wish there were real, you know, flesh and blood characters there. Mm. No, understandable, yeah. Yeah, I give this a three out of five midichlorines for me. Um, but pretty, pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Before this, I would have given it a lot less, actually. Attack of Clones wasn't high, but this time, analysing, we knew we'd kind of these categories and let's kick back. Look, the noirish look of this film, especially in the first 30 minutes, I thought it was really excellent. I really enjoyed it. The opening shots, as you say, of the Naboo ship coming into like a cloudy grey Coruscant. Really good. It's really interesting to see Coruscant presented that way. Um different from how it is in Phantom Menace. Moody shots and deliberate pacing of these sleek transports. Really nice. Padme's room with the Venetian blind look and where Zam meets Django and like neon lights high in a building like we're in Blade Runner, which of course is also inspired by 1940s noir detective film mm. itself. So it's a nice little cycle around. I love the look of the pristine silver transport with Padme and Anakin landing on um, Moss Esper and Tatooine. Mm. That just that shot of it coming down. It's really nice. The prequels, in general, really benefit from the dedication of Lucas to showing each planet will inhabit. Yes. Be it Naboo, Coruscant, Geonosis, Kamino, or Tatooine, they're all shown in establishing shots with life going on around them. And I also like the attention to detail of Obi-Wan's ship requiring a small docking bay attachment to use hyperspace. Mm. Like, I really like that. Yeah, it's cool, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And I like that. And when it goes through the asteroid field, the asteroid field sequence is not that great, but it's... I like I like that part of it. Mm. Um, this one I paid a bit more attention to the design and actually quite I thought that there's some interesting stuff in there. Like I say, there's a little bit fifth element too much, but um, yeah, mm. yeah. I like that 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 kind of noirish. It feels like he's slowly migrating through the the decades from the 30s of Phantom Menace into the 40s of right. You know, of, yeah, yeah. of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, Palpatine goodness gets a mere two and a half midichlorians of old Sheevy here. Uh, he's definitely saving up his palpy powder for the final film, <laughs> but he does have some moments in clones. Mostly there are three sheaves I enjoy. Full-throated, cackling bad guy, simpering, pretending to be good chancellor, and the sly, dark side seductor. In clones, it's mostly the pretending to be good guy sheave on display. Uh, acting all poor me, having to accept this heavy burden of leadership kind of thing, with lines like, I love democracy, I love the republic. Once this crisis is abated, I will lay down the powers you have given me. Classic sly guy, Sheave. <laughs> yeah, he um, they age him up quite a lot here, and I noticed yeah. that they actually pull that aging back in yeah. Revenge of the Sith. They yeah. almost like they went too far. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, as you say, compared to episodes one and later three, this is a, there's a disappointing lack of quality Palpatine moments. He does get to pump up Anakin's ego by telling him he's the most powerful Jedi and will be greater than Yoda. Oof. Um, he does get to guilt Jar Jar into voting to give emergency Senate powers, which doesn't do much for making us empathise with the unfortunate Gungan. Mm. You know, if that was the idea, it's like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get Jar Jar out of this film so that people yeah. don't get annoyed by him. Or what should we do to kind of, you know... Well, have him destroy the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have him be responsible for putting the Emperor in power. Yeah. Cool. Um... And the final images of Sheev overlooking the Grand Republic Army is nice, ominous moment to finish on, yep. especially with the Imperial March. Totally. So, yep. Yeah, really nice little... The parts he's in is always quality, yep. but yeah, that's few and far between. So we get on to the lightsaber battles. And for me, I'm going to be quite harsh on this. Uh, again, this is on a grading curve of, 
of, mm-hmm. of, of all of it. I'm only giving this two out of five midichlorines. And I really want to be proven wrong that Attack of the Clones is the least of the prequel trilogy, but I cannot on two counts. It doesn't, for me, have any great set pieces. The set piece that everyone wants to lean on is a Jedi attack on Dooku's troops. While it's something I always wanted to see when I was a kid, it actually shows Jedi's getting chopped down pretty pretty easily, diluting, diluting their mystery and cachet. Even in Phantom Menace, we only see two Jedi Masters, but they easily slice through their opposition and are only truly challenged by a Sith Lord. Whereas in Clones, the Jedi are slaughtered by battle droids, no less. That's like Luke getting vibro-bladed to death by skiff guards on Jabba's <laughs> sail barge. <laughs> like, it just bugs me mm. that these guys are doing that. And yeah. it's the most obvious, hey, just, just do a move in front of a green screen and we'll, yeah. we'll pop you in it's later. Sure, yeah. There's parts where people are flicking around and then putting their hand up and then doing this, and there's no one even near them. And it's, again, it's probably not their fault, but it's how it's comped together yeah. that it really bugs me. And just all these nondescript Jedi's just getting absolutely slaughtered. Yeah. And then, of course, there is the Yoda versus Dooku fight. And I remember on first viewing, being entertained by the novelty of Yoda fighting in a lightsaber battle. But with every subsequent viewing, and this month is no exception, the betrayal of Yoda's ethos is thrown into sharp focus. It's an irritation. The whole point of Yoda is that he represents the luminous beings, not this crude matter. Yeah, that's true. And yet here, and later in Revenge of the Sith, is when he's just fighting and killing just everyone with no qualms. I guess on the plus side, you could argue that that is part of his character arc back into the original trilogy, yep. that he rejects that violence in order to train Luke, finding a pacifist stance and encouraging Luke to rely on his weapons. But that's a pretty subtle character arc for a series that's not interested in subtlety at all. So yeah. I don't know whether you made that conscious decision. Yeah, and, and that's <laughs> that's an argument I've heard. And look, I'm to, I'm torn, man, on Yoda. I'm torn because yeah. on the on the one hand, Yoda doesn't seem like the sort of guy who needs to whip out the saber and get involved, like you say, in the test of the crude matter. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also aware that audience went nuts for the reveal of Yoda fighting when this film came out. Yeah. I mean, this was a big deal, and I hear mm. I still hear that people talking about the crowd reactions yeah. when he whips out the lights. I out. remember it, yeah. So maybe it always had to happen in a sense to give the audience yeah. what they wanted. I don't know if it needed to be a CGI flip, flip flip fest, but this was 2002 George Lucas, so I guess it did. And I don't know that there were a lot of ways to make a duel between a 6-foot-plus 80-year-old man at this point and a 66-centimetre-tall uh, puppet work. Yeah. Maybe it had to be that as well. Yeah. So I also am not a big fan of the Anakin-Dooku-Kenobi fight. Like in this one, no, like, no. I, I, there's nothing that memorable about it apart from when they're swirling their blades around like they're at a you know late nineties yeah just yeah, music rave yeah. yeah. I I, I kind of like the bit where it's just close ups on Anakin's face and Dooku's face as their blades and they're just lit by the lightsabers and it's, yeah. it's clearly a workaround because you know one of your actors is really too old to be doing a, a physically demanding fight scene yeah. but it's a nice technique and one that I haven't seen in those. Yeah, you know, in those um, battles before, like you say, um, the ge- the battle on Geonosis is, is kind of it's pretty terrible. I mean, the screen is filthy with Jedi, scores of green, blue, and one single purple lightsaber flashing. Yeah. Um, but none of it's good. It's just extras waving their arms around until you know Mace Windu chops off Django's head, yeah. basically. 
Yeah, and I don't mind that actually. I don't mind that. I don't mind that Mace Windu kills Django as a major because Mace Windu's a, a major character. Sure, and he so. should be given a moment. Yeah, yeah, and it's still better than Boba's eventual fate. Eventual fate. So totally. <laughs> At least he's you know he's going down to a rampaging Jedi. Yeah, that's you? right. So uh, and, and that shot of you know um, Boba picking up the the helmet and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's I really nice. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some nice moments in there, but um. Yeah, actually, speaking of Dooku, I kind of think it's a bit of a problem that he's mentioned in the crawl, and then you don't see him basically until the third act. Right. You know, like he's mentioned in the crawl, and then they mention I think, and the other problem is that everyone knows he's the bad guy straight away. Right. And it's kind of so like Padme says it. That's a bit weird. Like I, I would have thought it would have been better that Kenobi found that out, seeing as he's going to speak detective thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know what I mean? To eventually find as a Jedi yeah. master at the end is like, oh, that's a real twist, and then the Jedi's take it real seriously and. But to kind of know that he was that, because they're all like, "Well, he can't." Be. It's kind of like those in the Bond films when they're like, "Well, he can't be. Uh, yeah. he can't be a Bond." You know, he, he's a. He's well, a- I, this comes again into the idea that the Jedi are being corrupted because they refuse to believe what's in front of them. <laughs> That's you know? right. It's more evidence of the theory, man. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. I, I don't really care that his name is Duku. Right. Yeah. I just, I, that sounds wrong. Yeah. Um, but I do like the fact that it's Christopher Lee because oh, he gives yeah. it. You know, he, he gives it a gravitas, which. You know, yeah. um, it's one of those great truisms about Star Wars films, isn't it? That when you when you've got a, a great sort of aged British thespian in there, yeah. it, it it can get you through some awfully awful dialogue. Yep, and, um, and that's very true, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just it it's well. always been that case, and and I do like the fact that there's the scene where he's got. Um, Obi Wan strung up, and he's kind of mm. he actually seems like he might be on his side. You know, you, mm. you know, he, he, there is some complexity to his character there, and it's yeah. the fact that he's not he's not a, a Darth, at least mm. to our knowledge, is interesting as well. So where does he fit into this? Mm. You know, the spectrum is yeah, it's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I just think they could have probably executed his reveal a bit more interestingly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just through Obi Wan's eyes rather than. Um, like I say, tell us in the crawl, and then Padme is aware of it, and mm. you know, and you never see him. They talk about him. It's, it's a bit strange. Yeah, to kind of follow this whole detective story just to get to a point that everyone kind of already knows anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems yeah, not quite there. Yeah. Hey, interestingly, side note, I, this is the first time I realised that Lucas didn't write this alone. I, yeah, that's yeah. right. And um, I did write it down, but I, I seem to have misplaced it. But that other guy had written like. Like maybe one thing before this, right. or or maybe he'd worked on um, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Right. But this is also the last thing he worked on. Yeah, wow. Like I, possibly his first big film, but definitely the last thing he ever wrote on. So he was like a, you know, he was a, a Lucas boy by the sound of things. Yeah. He'd been around for a little while, but yeah. had a crack and uh, never again. Wow. He probably wrote the sand stuff, eh? Probably wasn't Lucas. It was probably this guy, and that's, that's why he's not worked again. It's probably it's probably Lucas going. Yeah, can you write the um? People are you know studios were going. Hey, can you send me a sample of your work? And he sends yeah. the the sand monologue yeah. in every time. <laughs> <laughs> I never seem to be able to get a job. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned here, he's just like this kind of like awkward twenty year old who was like Anakin, who was just like, oh, you need to write a, a, a love scene. With, with, with Natalie Portman, oh, okay, uh, you're he, really beautiful. That's actually the, these, he was actually writing from his life. That's yeah, probably what happened. True. And he was so hurt by the film's reception. It's like that's how he met his wife. Yeah, you know, you know, he he was raised in the desert, you know, Nevada or something, and you know, I love it. Yeah, and so that's uh, our review of Attack of the Clones. Join us for episode three review, Revenge of the Sith.
accent, it's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. 